Is this actually, is this called a show? Like, do you guys have a yeah. show? Yeah, this is a it show. Is. And we yeah, have listeners. Have... We have subscribers. Wait, wait, what do you mean, like, subscribers? It's, like, not spam? <laughs> <laughs> we have people who actually care about what we have to say, and we don't know them. This is remarkable. You know, yeah. I remember when you guys were students, people had said they are not going to make anything. I said, no, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. They will make great uh, inmates one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was like the little engine that could. There was just something about you guys. I just knew you'd screw up and make it successful. <laughs> well, if it helps, I proved everyone right till about 2008. Yeah, well, some, some are late bloomers. You know? <laughs> How are you guys doing? It's really good to talk to you guys. Good, yeah. good. Really good to talk to you too. I am really happy about this. This is this is uh I don't know why, but I was like so pumped about this interview. So, well, what do you mean you don't know why? Well, I mean I do, but in the sense that um, <laughs> over overly pumped. Yeah, I was like a surprise yeah. at how at how excited I was, and I think it's because we share the same birthday. Oh uh, yes, yeah. You know what? That is. That That's might it. be it. That might be it. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Gomer. Seriously, Gomer's, you're just like an add-on. Yeah. Has Luke ever promised to buy you a book from Pope John Paul and then never give it to you for a decade? Because he did that for me on my birthday. Yeah, I, just yeah I, I could totally see him doing that, too. <laughs> I know, I know. I totally see that doesn't surprise me. The king of good intentions. Yeah, <laughs> Paving the way to hell. <laughs> Oops. Well, that was fantastic. That was great. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we encourage you um, for this podcast. We are we encourage you to cuss. I know okay. you have a terrible mouth. Uh, I do. I do. Like a sailor. Like a sailor. All right. I'm like half a sailor. There. Things things are going well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're swinging for the fences with this show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think moms love us. <laughs> for yeah. some reason, I have a a group of moms at my church that listen. Wow. Yeah, and even episodes have, entitled "We Cuss a Lot," they listen I, to it. I have no comment. Have no comment. <laughs> well, let's hope you have something to say during the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the email you guys sent me. It's like we're going to talk about whatever you want. It's like I thought you guys were in charge of this show. Nope, nope, nope. nope. That's nope. why we have guests. <laughs> it's like so you like stuff. Yeah, that's right. Hey, so I actually have a great story to start us off with. So I work for the Archdiocese. You're going to have to bleep that out, Gomer. But we have a net office that I'm the liaison for. And so we kind of have a, like a competition between who is net and who is a Franciscan. And when we, talk, when we talked about you, their like, first thing out of the mouth was, well, he, you know, he's a netter. And I was like, I'm actually going to claim him as one of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Although truth be told, it was net before Franciscan. Yeah, but, you know, I mean... I know, I can give you that. I can give you that. You know, the funny thing, though, and it's just kind of God's providence. Uh, I'm from Colorado, home of the uh, world champion Denver Broncos, but that's a whole other story for another day. Uh, you know, seriously, though, I so I go on net, and I'd never heard of Franciscan University, and, and it's really providential in the Lord's movement in my life that it, had it not been for net and honestly going down the wrong flight of stairs, mm-hmm. running into a guy who was uh, working for admissions for Franciscan University, I mean... Just think about that. Had I not gone down those flight of stairs, the three of us may not be talking right Are you, now. That's that's crazy. Oh my gosh! It's all my whole life is like just kind of coming together at this moment. Right it's now, all, it's all led to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, is, this is this is this is pathetically tragic. 
<laughs> you thought that it would have at least been someone like Brian Kissinger, yeah, or like yeah. Eddie Hickman. Yeah. Instead, it's Luke and Gomer. You're yeah. welcome, world. Yeah. No, no, no. I like Luke and Gomer's got a nice sound to it. How well, I mean, Gomer and Luke. That's Gomer. what I was just going to say. Gomer and Luke. <laughs> Gomer and Luke. Yeah. I mean, you got to understand, we do it alphabetical, Gomer and Luke. I mean. <laughs> okay, that would be Dave. So, uh, Father Dave, Gomer, and Luke, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. sounds great. That sounds fine, great. So, we're going to add you then as the permanent third host. Well, it could be a chaplain or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah just, so it could be yeah. like you were the AMDG chaplain and just never show up to anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what's great about this show, too, is 99% of the people listening have no idea what's going on, which oh, is yeah. awesome. This I is know. a well, great show. I, well, let's be honest. It's more like 55% don't know what's going on because okay. the rest are all uh, our friends. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah um, the, rest, the rest are all Aunt D, <laughs> Luke's aunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously, that's that's actually true. It's uh, Auntie and um, Jared George. So, um, but uh, my buddy Brad Bursa, sorry, not Brad Bursa, Bradley Barnes, who is who is a um, avid listener, and I said I would said that I like mentioned him on the show. He is a youth minister here in Cincinnati, and we have a lot of Franciscan alumni, and so he has a thing where any time that they talk about it, he takes a drink. Nice. So you got to so drink. Just, just so, talk about Franciscan, and he has to take a shot. Yep. This is awesome. Households, fob, other projects. Right. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Holy Spirit. Jesus went to Franciscan University. That's right. I That's right. That. So I actually have a legit question. Wait, are we starting? Do you want to? Start? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've already started. Okay. Okay. Great. Oh, Cut. start again. You want to do your thing, Gomer? Uh, sure. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Catching Foxes at the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Gomer, that's Luke, and this is Father Dave Pavanka. Say hi. Say hi. There you go. I knew you were going to say that for some reason. Hey, seriously, Catching Foxes, A, it's a clever title. I like it. Thank B, you. it reminds me of a, a Steve Martin thing in the 80s, but that's a whole wait, other story. Wait, you can uh, continue that thought because I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. Well, it's the whole thing when he goes up and he's he's like uh, it's that they're from Europe or something like that, and he goes, we go and we would talk to those crazy foxes or something like that. So, oh yeah, too wild when they're breaking up. Yeah, too wild and crazy guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Which is actually but, what a life was like when I was in the projects back in Seminole. So that's very shot. So yes. <laughs> so here's my a legit question for you: Do you not age? Because I feel like you look exactly like you did. Because I first heard you speak when I was in like 10th grade. And you were one of those conference speakers. And I was like, I like this guy's good. I like him. Like God is speaking through him. Like it was, I was like, wow, this guy's like awesome. And I remember like seeing you in college be like, he looks exactly the same. And then I saw you at a wedding back in uh, back in 2008 or like I'm a nine. I was like, wait, what? And I just feel like you don't age. So what is your secret? Lose your hair when you're 18. Yes. Yeah, see, that happened to me too. That's it. Cause that's people, it. it's like, they're noticing it's like you've, you haven't lost any hair. So you must be exactly the same. So that's kind of the secret. If you want to look, just lose your hair when you're about 18, 19 years old and, and you're looking golden. Same birthday. Yeah. 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 Hair at a horribly early age. <laughs> oh, this is Luke and Father Dave show. Who's going? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't is even it, know anymore either. It's possible we're related. 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I would love that, Father Dave. No, I'm just kidding. That sounds creepy. <laughs> I was going to say that was that was a little across the line there. Uh, Gomer, help, Gomer. Nope, nope. Job. I believe you guys have made it evident that I'm not wanted. So I'm we just here with my Michelob Ultra and my tiny can of Coke Zero. We're nine minutes in and I've already crossed a horrible line. <laughs> so well, what took you so long, Luke? I don't know. Um, I'm just excited because I'm drinking wine tonight. So oh. stepping up my game. Nice. nice, nice. Yeah, and I'm, I'm drinking water. It is Lent. Go ahead, brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Here's the thing: I get nervous, therefore I have to drink. It's a it's a win win for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good model for the kids to look up to. <laughs> hey, that's why that's why we're the only Catholic podcast featured in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes with an explicit tag. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but that's, yeah, it's okay. We cuss. Anywho. Um, <laughs> So, Father Dave, uh, you're a pretty awesome fella, but you weren't always a priest. How did you get here? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Actually, we had, we had made reference earlier about me going on NET. The Nas- For those who are not familiar, the National Evangelization Team, it's an evangelistic ministry out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, but actually, I'd gone to the University of Colorado, in, a university in Colorado in uh, Fort Lewis in Durango for a couple of years. Uh, and in my, honestly, I've thought about being a kid, a priest since I was a little kid. And uh, I just felt like I needed I'd been dating a gal for a while at that time, uh, and that's where I went on net, honestly, was to get away, be able to do some ministry, but really figure out whether or not the Lord was calling me to be a priest. Uh, really, there was never a time that it wasn't in my mind, the thought about being a priest. But for me, it was really just, you know, we've met some people, it's like, I remember I was at a come and see, and this guy goes, I think I want to be a priest because I failed at everything else. Well, that's not that's not exactly the look we're going for. But uh, it, the thing, though, is that is. Like, I didn't do this because I didn't want to get married. I mean, my mom and dad have been married for 55 years, and they've just got a great marriage. So I had a really a wonderful, beautiful example of marriage. So that's difficult, making that choice, you know, when you want both. But just, I mean, to, to maybe focus on that for a second, the real discernment is always between two goods. Like, I don't need to discern whether or not I'm going to be a priest or whether or not I'm going to be a drug dealer. I mean, that that's, doesn't take discernment. Discernment is between two goods. Being a priest is a wonderfully beautiful thing. Having a holy Christian marriage is a wonderful, beautiful thing. So for me, it was kind of trying to, Scripture talks about that deepest desire of your heart. So it was really that, figuring out what is the deepest desire of my heart. And then ultimately, yeah, I went on net, spent a year there. Uh, decided transferring to Steubenville, take a shot, and that's that's really where I kind of met the Franciscans, and that's where I've been the rest since the late 1980s. So you went TOR Franciscan because of the university? Yeah, well, you know, it's I as I was getting more serious about my discernment, I was pretty certain that I wanted to be a religious. Uh, the, just the sense was, in fact, the, it's interesting. The opposite reading today is. The, the story when Moses goes over and looking over the battlefield and with Aaron and Ur on his right and left, uh, when his arms are up. Uh, I, I felt like I needed that in my life, Aaron and Ur, those brothers that I could live my life with, that could help support me, that I could help support them. So I was always pretty sure uh, that I was called to be a religious. And when I met the Franciscan TORs, their main charism is conversion, this idea of metanoia, this daily conversion. It's not just something that happens once, but you know we continue to experience that. And yeah, there was just something that really spoke to my heart. Um, the thing about it is that sometimes I think people are looking for like the perfect spouse or the perfect community. That doesn't exist. It's finding a place that, that you feel at peace, that I can be myself, that, that I can be loved here, I can be challenged here, I can love here. So, yeah, it was just a great a great fit for me. Hey, I got a, a real quick discernment question for you. Yeah, shoot. 
woman came up to me and she said, my daughter uh, really likes this young man who's in seminary. And she just thought of him as a friend until while he was in seminary, he laid it all on the line for her and was like, I think you're great. I think you're amazing. I want to spend the rest of my life with you, maybe, if I'm not called <laughs> to be a priest. Right? What would you say to a young man who's thinking about the priesthood or who is in seminary? Let's say he's in his pre-theology. He's, a, he's in the, you know, the undergraduate years. What would you say yeah, yeah. to him to help his discernment? My feeling is if, if you're discerning, if you're seriously discerning, uh, you can't be doing that. It's just, it's just not fair to her. I mean, right. this, you've, got a, you, you've got a heart that you're dealing with, I mean, both yours and the person that you're entering a relationship, and I use that word relationship very loosely, but it's just not fair. It's, and, and part of that I do because of, of my own story. And granted, I was, I was a teenager when I was dating, but, but the, you know, if, you're, if you're dating and you're entering into a relationship and, and your hearts are beginning to share with one another, it's just not fair. It's it's not right to to draw someone on and lead someone on like that. So I'm always about uh, you got to figure that out. If you're moving into an exclusive kind of a more of a serious thing, the you know the other side of that is I think seminarians need to have friends that are, are women. I think that it, it's good for us and, and and to be able to have relationships with with both men and women. But anything that's serious that's moving that way, I just yeah, I, I just don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. when you went, you were dating someone. You were in, in, were you in high school or college? When I went on net, yeah, yeah, I, I was, a, just... yeah, I was a year out of a uh, year out of high school. Yeah, and it was the same kind of thing. I mean, the the thought was always, and this, like I said, part of my story that I, there was never really a time that the thought about being a priest wasn't in, in the back of my mind. And I remember <laughs> dating this gal, and it was, <laughs> excuse me, it was Ash Wednesday. And I said, uh, I'll figure this out by Easter, you know, so give me Lent and I can pray about it and think about it by Easter. I'll let you know. Well, as, as you probably know, it doesn't quite work like that. It's not these little mm-hmm. timetables. Okay, God, jump through this hoop. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it just didn't, didn't quite work like that. How did you know, like, when was the point when you were like, okay, this yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. That's a really great question. Um how did I know? What's well, interesting, there's a great story of, of a priest who had been ordained for 50 years, and, and they asked him, when did you decide to be a priest? And he said, about five years ago. <laughs> it, but, but his point was, is, is, that, is that we, you know, that, that there are events in our life that cause us to reaffirm and once again choose. Um, so when did I know? Well, it, it, I mean, there's, there's lots of stories. I mean, one of the time that I was uh, in the praying in the Porciancola at the Franciscan University, take a shot. And uh, <laughs> I, I heard, I just really heard the Lord speak to me. It's the text from, from John's gospel that says, bear the fruit that must endure. And there was just this way that I read this, that, that, that I understood the fruit that the Lord was calling me to was uh, a vowed life uh, as a priest. And that that fruit that must endure, that, that I needed to persevere and, and that there was what the Lord wanted me to. So I, that, that was a really profound moment. But another time I was actually sitting uh, on a bench with with another priest, and we were just talking, and and he just asked me, he said, "What do you want to do?" And and I said, and this was as an adult. I had said when I was a kid that I wanted to be a priest, but as an adult, I said, "I want to be a priest." And and I and I was hoping the heavens would open up, and the Lord would say, "You know, well done, good and faithful servant," all this kind of thing. But hmm. but but what there was is there was a peace, and ultimately that's how we discern. There was a peace when I said that I want to be a priest. There was just a peace, and, and I knew it was right. That's not to say that there weren't you know through formation and through seminary times that I. You know, question is, is this exactly what I'm right? Is this what I'm called to? But, you know, I would say, yeah, and I would have been maybe 21, 22 years old at that time. 
Yeah, we had uh, Father Michael Schmitz on um, on the podcast, uh, and he was talking about that. He actually ended a relationship with a young woman in order to go into seminary. And I think about the six or seven times I broke up with my now wife, Shannon, in order to kind of think about the seminary <laughs> and how awful I was with that. Like, I didn't, I never yeah, made I remember. I, I remember some of those conversations. <laughs> yeah, that was. You and me both, Father <laughs> You and me both. And, and, and both me. of you share another thing in common. Your responses were not helpful because um, <laughs> I kept doing it over and over again. <laughs> No, oh, but kidding. I remember from the other side too. So let me just put that out there. Oh, so. damn, that's a good point. Yeah. Dang it! Um, but no, so I just think like so many young men have this big struggle. Like obviously, hey, ladies, right? But at the same time, every young Catholic man probably should think about becoming a priest. Um, our buddy uh, John, I remember him telling me his vocation story. He's like, I thought about being a priest, and I just thought I would like to be a husband and a father more. And I was like, yeah. if only it were that easy. Like for me, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. this epic struggle and sadness and tears and heartbreak and yeah yeah but you know something there's something to that that i like i remember i was talking to one of the friars when i decided to apply for for the franciscans and and really was pretty sure that was the route i was supposed to go there was a sadness i remember there was a sadness i filled out my application and, and i remember going to him the spiritual director and i said this must not be right because like there's just this sadness about me uh, within me. And, and the more we prayed and thought about it, I came to understand that that is the appropriate response. When I said no, that I wasn't going to get married, marriage is an unbelievably beautiful, wonderful, amazing sacrament. The Christian marriage is just gorgeous. So when I said no... I mean, no it's to, all right. Let's well, not get carried all right, away. All right, all right. It's I'm pretty, a fan. It's all come right. On, come on. This is from a celibate. Do not okay. pop that bubble, okay? Do not <laughs> pop that bubble. It is bubble. the greatest thing ever. I love being told to make my bed every morning. Yeah, well, anyway. So, but but <sighs> to the point, to the yeah. point, which there is, in fact, one, um, that, that there's a sadness about that because I'm saying no to something beautiful. And, yeah. and, and one ought not confuse that sadness with, oh, my gosh, then I should do the other thing. But I think that's the reality is, is when we say no to something beautiful, be that marriage or be that, you know, religious life, priesthood, there is going to be some type of a mourning that goes with that. And, and one ought not confuse that with, oh, my gosh, I've made the wrong choice. I've made the wrong decision. With that being said, you said something earlier about discernment. I remember I was flying. Actually, I think it was down to Texas uh, to do a wedding. You're welcome. Yeah, no problem. And does he have to take a shot for Texas? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's very... Everybody nice. else does. Yes, everybody, everybody else <laughs> um, But uh, I remember that I was sitting next to this lady on the plane, and, and I was talking, I was going down there to do a marriage and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and somewhere I alluded to, they had discerned to get married. And she goes, well, what do you mean they discerned? And I said, well, they prayed about it, and they felt that they're... And she goes, I kind of thought that was the default. There's, you just kind of get married, and, and you, you pray and discern to be a priest. I said, no, 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 you know... One does not get married simply out of default. One is called to that. And, and it's a beautiful vocation that the Lord has given the individual. So it's not this default setting that we have. And yet I think for a large population, that is the case. It's kind of assumed that that's the default. That's what you do. Uh, one I'm going to get married unless the Lord clearly yeah. intervenes mm -hmm. and calls me yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, you know, I, I got married kind of late compared to people who go to college over at Steubenville. Which Sorry, Barnes. 
which would mean 17. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they, get, they get married, actually, their freshman year as their income. Yeah, 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 yeah. Part of their yeah, small group you're, you're a freak if you're not married with kids at 22. <laughs> I'm going to be a youth minister and have $80,000 of debt. What's the best idea for me to do? Get married and have children. <laughs> I remember hitting a point when I was like, you know, if I'm not going to get married, I'm going to be okay because I really like my life. Not, not in a way of like... I'm gonna be like horrible, like selfish, and do all these you know horrible things. But I, but like I was like I enjoy the gift that God has given me. It's this okay. is great. I'm like I'm like I can because I think I always believed that lie that to be happy equals having a partner, you know, or like and so and I don't mean like partner in the, in the sense of this is my partner Aaron. I mean like um like having always having a companion in, in your life, like person someone like I'm like dating or a spouse. And I remember just being like, no, my life is pretty great. Like, I'm really happy w- w- with all this. And I, and I can find God. Like, I don't have to be married in order to be happy. And I think it's very yeah. easy to buy into that lie that I have to be in some type of – and I, I think it really comes down to being in a sexual relationship. A lot of people, even Catholics, think that – You said the S word. I know, right? Okay. We're going to say a whole lot more, Father. <laughs> Buckle we up. Yeah. Here. <laughs> but no, I, I – I think that it does come down to that idea of like, well, I'm not really going to be happy unless I can have sex. And I think for some people, like, that's a lie that we have, you know, believed because we think that will mean that we are finally accepted or, you know, or that we're or or whatever. So it's 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 a lot more challenging. Like I one of the things that I think is really interesting is to ask people, like, why do you want to get married? Like, is it because you want to, like, procreate and, like, have kids and have a family grow in, you know, um, uh, holiness? Or do you feel like you need it to get married? Because those are two kind of different things mm-hmm. that can have. And that, I mean, I th- I think it's I mean, if you really feel like it's your uh, vocation, I think it's OK to feel like you have a need to, like, uh, fulfill your, uh, you know, uh, vocation. But at the same time. I don't know. I'm just rambling. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But I actually, I think your point, and, and let's mark this. I think your point is really good. And that may or may not have ever been said on this show before. But Never once. Uh, okay. But no, you're seriously, that, that there is a sense uh, with, with many people that I've dealt with over the years that they're, they're not truly going to be happy until they're married. And, and the reality is, is what, what you said I thought was really great is that that you were happy, that, that the Lord had blessed you, your your life was happy, and that, that ultimately that's going to happen in relationship with the Lord. And and I understand, you know, how some, somebody wants to get married and there's this longing and stuff. But my experience in dealing with a lot of young people who would like to be married, the, the equation or the example I use is they're like pieces of fruit, and they're just waiting for somebody to pick them. And that's no way to live. And, and I don't think yeah. God wants us to live that, you know, to live our life to the fullest, whatever the state of life. And, and if we can find joy and peace and purpose and meaning um, in that, no matter where we are, I mean, brothers, that is that is the heart of our faith is, is that we're ex- able to experience all the beauty and goodness, no matter where it is that the Lord has us. Yeah, I think that's just a really, really great insight. And uh, one of the things that I think a, that is a part of discernment, and you kind of touched on it, is discerning religious life over diocesan priesthood. Um, I had the opportunity the other day to chat with a, a friend of mine who's in the religious order, and uh, I, I was talking about you know just different aspects of the priesthood and the experience of loneliness that is so common among diocesan priests because they're alone, they have huge parishes, you know. And he said uh, uh, the road to hell for me 
it would would be a short and quick one if I became a diocesan priest. And I was like, what does that mean? He said, I, I need community. I need that brotherhood where they're absolutely holding me accountable or I'm lost. And then I remember a conversation with a friend of mine who's a diocesan priest, and he uh, it was almost the exact opposite for him. Mm-hmm. He said, I saw my priesthood as being for the people first, uh, you know, is like, whereas for the, a religious order, I'm a, I'm a priest for the order first and then for the people that the order serves. Mm-hmm. That was the way that he kind of saw it through his own eyes. And he said, the way he kind of said it was, if I'm out all night because I'm praying with people and, and doing pastoral ministry, I don't want to have to come back to, you know, the rectory or whatever, convent, whatever, and have to apologize for missing night prayer with my brothers or whatever. It right, is. right, 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 right. So what, what for you was the religious moment? Like why was community, was it community or was it just, hey, these guys, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I heard a diocesan priest one time say he could never become a Franciscan because he wanted his own newspaper. And by that, he meant when we gather for breakfast in the morning, you know, I want the sports page. Well, I want this and I want this. And that's just kind of our <laughs> life. So that's how we discerned whether or not to be religious. Um, let's see. That's a great question. Uh, yeah, specifically um, for me, maybe it's because I have four brothers and, and there was a part of that, that desire to to live with brothers and, and let me be really clear, in, in the same way what you guys were alluding to earlier, and that is, you know, this this idyllic image of marriage and it's wonderful. I mean, my brothers are my blessing and they're my and my difficulty. They're my means to sanctification. And and there's something about that, that 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 relationship that is time is stressed and and I live with, you know, over twenty-five years of being a friar, you know, some guys that I really connected with well and some guys I didn't. But as Francis said, the Lord gave me brothers and and it's the reality is it's oftentimes that brother that I have the most difficult with time with is the one who actually purifies me most because it's the challenge and the invitation to love and, and to surrender and to die to myself. So, so that that's a part of it. But so it was the brotherhood. Um, but then it was also a, a diversity of ministry that when I was kind of taking a look at my gifts and, and my talents and, and some of my passions, my sense was you know being doing one thing, working in a parish for for forty years just probably wasn't best suited for me and my personality. So I liked what a religious calling provided in different ministries and the diversity of ministries. But then ultimately, and this is really key, and that is um, the vowed life, is that when, when I went before the Lord, that uh, as a vowed religious, as a vowed, you know, for poverty, chastity, and obedience, that there's a stand between the, before the world, before the church, before the Lord, that that I just wanted to be able to espouse and to be able to to embrace that. And, and the, and the diocesan clergy does that. Obviously they don't take the vows, but they do that differently. Their stance before the church and before the, the world is different than about religious. Yeah. So even, well, let's just say some, I mean, I don't want to get into a real theological, whether or not priests will ever marry, but let's just say, well, we have married priests at the time. We will always have a celibate clergy because of religious. There, there is a witness, mm-hmm. a witness that a celibate clergy gives, um, that I think the world, particularly this world, which has become so sexualized, needs that that says, you know, you can actually be happy and not have sex, that that really is possible. You can live a, a fulfilled, satisfied life, and that's possible. Can I just jump back to one thing you said earlier, just only because it's, I think it's kind of a, yeah. a little yeah, yeah. thing of mine. You, you mentioned loneliness. You know, yeah. I, I remember when I was praying, you know, about uh, this time I'd have been maybe 18 or 19 years old. <clears throat> and somebody said, you know, I was talking about that, that loneliness of being, you know, by yourself and all that. And and one of the, there was several priests there. And one of the priests says, yeah, well, there's Jesus and Jesus is for you. So don't worry. And this other guy jumped in. He said, you know, that's true. 
But when you go home and you go to bed at night, you're alone. And, and don't, don't romanticize that. It's, it's the reality. So one of the things that I've learned over the years is, is this idea or this loneliness is a, is a reality. It, it's a part of the human condition that each one of us has created in our heart. It is restless until it rests in the Lord, that St. Augustine said. And that, that restlessness is, is a loneliness, that longing. We all have that. You guys have had that. You know, and you're married. The, the a classic image I use is, you know, a young couple, they've got their first, their first child. And when the husband leaves and goes home to the house or the apartment that first night when his wife and the baby are back in the hospital, that night is a lonely evening. You're oh, there by yourself alone. Okay. It is now, the worst. Okay. It really but is. That's, that's not bad. Right. It's lonely. And, yeah. and that there's a way that we equate loneliness with bad. Yeah. What I like to reflect, loneliness is always an invitation to something greater. It's an invitation to God. Isolation is bad. Isolation is when I begin to separate myself from people and, and kind of draw into my own world. This loneliness is part of the human condition. Yeah. So somebody says, you know, it must be so lonely to be a priest. And like you just said, oh, that's the worst. I mean, loneliness is a part of our life. And, and when we feel that longing or that desire of something more, it's always an invitation to God. Well, could you say that it, there's a contrast between like you mentioned, isolation, loneliness versus being alone. Like to me, that was always the way that I, I distinguish them because being alone, <clears throat> like when I would take my wife and kids and drive them up to St. Louis and then I would fly back home and leave them here for three, two or three weeks because I had all these other projects <clears throat> and I was going to be sure. out and one of them to experience, you know, people would see me at Sunday mass and they were like, Ugh, look at, look at Gomer. He's depressed. Um, there's an experience of, I mean, I guess I, I see what you're, you're saying. Like, to me, you can be alone and not, like, depressed. You can, you can sure. have that, you know, the, but there is, there is that sorrow that, that combines with it that sure. I think, yeah. You know, no, I would agree with you. It really is terrible um, in the sense of the pregnancy because, uh, as a man, you're just, like, you're utterly helpless and you're outside of the loop and, you know, in a lot of ways. And then you just go home and you're like, okay, well, I'll see you. Or in my case, yeah, I slept yeah. on a windowsill in a really crappy uh, hospital. So, uh, yeah. There's yeah that. Well, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, a, I got a bunch of questions. Can I ask you, like, one straight up? So I'm, like, looking at, like, all your books, and I realize I only own half of them, so you should get your publisher to send me the other half. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> well, you should, <laughs> you should, because I have purchased your um, uh, spiritual freedom, like, six times. And given all of them away except for oh. except for one of them. So, uh, encounter Jesus that you wrote with yep. Deacon Ralph Poyo, awesome guy. Yep. From discovery yep. to discipleship, a, a priest asked me today or yesterday. He said, "Michael, I want you to give me a clear answer because my biggest struggle is when people talk about encountering Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, or having a personal relationship. It, it sounds to me like what the way I filter it is, I have a relationship with Jesus through His Church." through his sacraments. But when you say it, you seem to be saying something different. Or when I hear a Protestant saying it, it seems to be not church, not sacrament, but something else entirely. And he's like, and that I don't understand. What are you talking about? So I, I, I don't know. what you, know, you did net national evangelization teams. You saw it firsthand. You've been involved in conferences and all this stuff. What for you is, what, what does that mean to encounter Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, the, the first thing that goes through my mind, honestly, is it's not an either or, it's a both and. That, that I, I mean, I just, it was really beautiful. This evening I spent the evening with a group of some inner city kids that are going through RCIA. And, 
You know, we spend an hour and a half just walking through the mass and talking and teaching them about the beauty of the mass. And and I mean, if we just take a look at the mass, that, that I encounter Christ in, in the brothers and sisters that that are present in that mass. I encounter Christ in the word that's proclaimed in the scriptures that's made, that's read. I encounter Christ in. In, in the priest that, that presides, I encounter Christ in the Eucharistic elements. So, yeah, that, that I encounter Jesus in each one of those situations. I, I think part of the spiritual life and part of the growth is in spiritual life is being able to pray for a vision that allows you to experience that, to, to experience Christ. And, you know, the Colossians talks about the fullness of creation. I mean, there is something mystical of standing on, on the edge of the Grand Canyon. So part of our growth in our, our spiritual life is to be able to encounter that. I mean, Mother Teresa encountered Christ in, in the middle, in the ghettos of, of India. And so the, I don't think it's an either or. But the other part of it, and I think it's at times that, I was going to say that perhaps we as Catholics miss. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. But in in my stillness and in my quiet that, that I encounter Christ, and, and, and in that encounter, He helps me see in ways that I wasn't able to see. I, I was just preaching recently on Luke 4, when Jesus comes and He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to give sight to the blind, to heal the cripple, and free the captive. Well, that's me, okay? I'm the one that's blind. So I encounter Christ in, in my prayer, in my, in my ministry, and He heals this blindness that I have. So uh, I don't know that it's an either-or. I don't know that it's either we encounter Christ in the sacraments in the church, or we encounter Christ somewhere else. I think I think that we encounter him in, in both and. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now, let me just say that, unfortunately, I have met people that, that say, well, that sounds so Protestant, and I just don't know how to respond to that. I mean, what does that mean, it sounds Protestant, to have an encounter with Christ? I mean, if you take a look at Evangelii Gaudium, in the first and second article, Pope Francis says, I invite everybody to an encounter with Christ or to a renewed encounter with Christ, if it's happened once, you know, that it happened again, that... I, I, I don't know what that means when people tell me that sounds so Protestant. I just, I don't know how to respond to that. I, I think it comes from a, how do I put this? A fear of, of just, uh, it's outside my realm or my, I, I don't, I don't because I, because I have heard that as well. And sure. I, I always I want to respond. Like you say that, like, it's a bad thing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, on, like, sure. We have the fullness of the faith, but like, we had we had Shane Claiborne on our podcast, and I have I mean he is one of those guys that anytime he speaks, I am inspired. I want to pray, and I want to like serve the poor and do good things. Like and I, like I like he just oozes Christ. Like they're not like well I don't know like what we're so scared of. I ha- okay. I I have never understood that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think uh, one of the big things that we that I've encountered at least is people who think that having a personal relationship with Christ versus having a sacramental or ecclesial relationship with Christ means that you're an elite, right? And this is actually a big criticism of the book forming intentional disciples when people would say, uh, essentially that, Oh, Oh, you're a disciple of Jesus. Whoa. Oh, well you're so holy and you're so much above all of us Catholics, you know? And for me, I, I, I look at the statistics of RCIA, which I lead at my church, and the statistics are 7-0, 70% leave the church after one year of being Catholic, 70%. And, and to me, it's like, because all you're doing is making them join a club, because that's what yeah, we, yeah. when we, when we've sacramentalized the church, 
but devoid, but removed almost like the Paschal mystery from it. We removed Jesus from the sacraments, and then we're wondering why people don't give a crap about be belonging to the club. You yeah, know? yeah. No, that's absolutely okay. I mean, the, the nature of the new evangelization is to that population. Is is to it is not a, yeah. to the world. It's an evangelization to the people that that are in the pews, that that or were in the pews that are no longer in the pews. That to to make this assumption that that everybody who comes to mass is is necessarily has an animated relationship with Christ that, that is brought alive by the power of the Holy Spirit is simply it's simply fallacy. It, it, it's fantasy. Yeah, the best part about this uh, parish mission that I'm doing here in St. Louis, uh, I was like, Lord, should I talk about this because of what you just said? And then you said the word assumption, and that was the name of the parish that I did it at. So I took it as reading into it that God telling me, ratifying everything that I say and do, right? That's the Steubenville way. (laughs) And then I opened my Bible and just dropped my finger down and said, that's what I'm going to do for Lent. Um, Take a shot. (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, Um, But no, so I just, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, at this parish mission, my whole point was to, and it was, of all the parish missions I ever do, usually people hire me because I'm young and I'm incredibly, incredibly handsome. And uh, I do, I like, I'm a life team, former life team youth minister. So I skew young for most of the crowds that I do these things for. But here at Assumption Parish, which is a wonderful parish, I mean, we were skewing up, right, with this, with this crowd. And I have never seen so many beautiful, wonderful, white-haired, gray-haired people come up to me and just being like, I've never heard that before thank you so much like you Mm -hmm. made sense of my faith or i felt like every word you were saying was directed at me alone you know because it's like they've never heard like they've longed for this relationship but what they got was at best um regular attendance at mass Mm -hmm. and mass Mm -hmm. was important to them but it was almost like it was important to them like a like um like a nostalgic attachment to the faith of my youth and i know intellectually that it's important but it, there was no fervor or zeal or love or devotion to the man, Christ Jesus, you know? And mm-hmm. that's all I talked about because I feel like that's what's missing, you know? It's like, the, I mean, their priest at their at their church is a phenomenal priest, a phenomenal pastor who loves the church. And, the, and, and if you go to a mass there, you will love the church, right? Like, he just exudes it. And so I felt like, okay, I don't have to worry about teaching him about the sacraments. He's done that. I need to drill into them this notion like God is for you, not against you. Mm-hmm. And, and most of those people, I mean, St. Louis is a Catholic school town. Um, most of those people don't think that. They don't think that God is fundamentally for me, that the Father desires uh, union with me. You know, They think like, okay, here's the rules. Here's the list of doctrines I got to memorize. Here's the nun with the ruler that's going to make me memorize it. And that's what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that is, is one of my experiences have been over the years is, is some of that is, is language is uh, we use different languages given, you know, kind of how old we are, where we're from, those kinds of things, because I, and I don't hear you saying this. So I want to be very clear. I don't hear you saying this, but the, the church has been really so blessed by those gray haired people that have just been so unbelievably faithful and, and 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 a sense of obligation, not in a negative. There's somewhat of a negative connotation to obligation, but just being so faithful to the obligation that they have. And and then what my experience is is that when when you preach to that population, what what comes alive in them is there's even more. You know, there's even more. And that's and that's mm-hmm. just that's just such a beautiful thing when you see that. And that's people ask me why I do what I do. That's why I do what I do. To see somebody's 
you know, a light go on in somebody's eyes and they say, oh, my goodness, there's more. And, and that's just that's just a wonderful thing. If you think of one moment like this has been my priesthood, like, yeah, yeah. what would that be? Probably this, this last 40 minutes. I agree. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I can't. You're welcome, world. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Um, yeah. You it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to start looking old. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. age 30 <laughs> years for some reason. That's right. I'm going to get a hair piece. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just trump it. Just get one of those trump. Got your foxes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, wow. Um, You're welcome, geez. America. Oh, I, that's boy. I, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I was the head of the question. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think of so many things. I mean, where do I start? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that just comes to mind is, is a situation I had in North Carolina. I was preaching on uh, the, the Holy spirit and how the Holy, you know, in the same way you were talking to earlier, Gomer, about this relation encounter in Christ. I mean, take that another step and the idea of the Holy Spirit is even more foreign to a population. It was talking about how the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship. We, I mean, we have, understand a relationship with the Father. Okay, the Father, Father, we, that makes sense. The Son, Jesus, okay, that makes sense. But a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's like way out there. And I remember us talking about that, preaching on, on how the Holy Spirit of God wants to animate our life, wants to give us life. And, and this woman literally jumped in the middle of the talk and says, why have I never heard this before? She said, I've been Catholic all my life. And I said, well, actually, you haven't. You were, you were born a little pagan, and you got baptized and became Catholic. But that's all another story. <laughs> a gross, um, gross pagan baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is what it is. We call them GBs, all right? <laughs> so, uh, but, but, I mean, so that was kind of a catch, this, this moment of coming alive. I mean, I, I love to be able to, I mean, the fact that the Lord lets us be a part of that, to be a part of a sacramental moment, I mean, any number of people who have come to confession to me and and you can hear in their voice this this longing for the love of God, this this somewhat trepidation and fear and, and seeing the Lord break into that and and I mean watch somebody come alive before my very eyes. I mean I've got a phenomenal, phenomenal life. Yeah. Yeah, I love being a priest. It reminds me of when Father Michael Schmidt someone asked him on a train. Uh, like your Catholic bound, priest and bound were... for nowhere on a train bound for nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure that's a reference to an old person song. Uh, <laughs> gambler. We're both too tired to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was right. Um, so we take turns of staring at the window at the darkness. Go ahead. No, that was, that was moving. Um, Father Dave. Um, no, but he just said that. <laughs> he just said that he was on a train with these. Oh, dang! I shouldn't have brought that up. Uh, for nowhere. <laughs> oh, and this person said, "Oh, you're a priest. I must be so horrible hearing confessions." And he was like, "Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm there at that exact moment when people are yeah. coming back to God. It's the most beautiful thing." And I'm like, "Well, when you put it yeah, that way." Yeah, I remember I was dealing with a, a priest. He hit out a really, really tough many years. And he said to me, he goes, Father Dave, uh, confessions have kept me sane. He said, they've kept me sane. Just that moment, that encounter of grace. I mean, I love it, again, what the Holy Father says is that when one goes to confession, it should be an encounter with mercy, not a torture chamber. But just to be a part of that is, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, just fantastic. Cool. Now, uh, I want to touch on two things before we have to end this conversation, which will make me so sad. Yeah. Um, you apparently... You apparently love the Holy Spirit, 
Is that a thing? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. So I've heard. So I've heard. Uh, I want to talk, like, so we've had many people here um, that uh, on our show who have, like, a charismatic background. Luke is a charismatic baby. Um, and how. I, uh, Did you just say pin it? He said and oh, how. No, and how. It's a, it's a dumb joke that I do. Sorry. That's okay. Luke, it's not a dumb joke. Don't. Don't apologize just because yeah, Father yeah. Dave's on. That's right. That's right. We need to be ourselves. And we need Give to be ourselves. A Give yourself a hug. Well, in that case. No. <laughs> no so, that, so. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we, we talk about the charismatic renewal in the form of, um, you know, with Dave Van Vickle, he talked about how he, you know, it was his experience of God and life-changing event. And now he gets into this whole exorcism ministry that he wants to bail out of in order to just do evangelization. And he realizes it's kind of the same thing. Um, and then with different people talk about these different experiences. But for you, you've written several books on, like, truly trying to understand um, what God is up to, what the Holy Spirit is up to in the lives of the individual believer. And, you know, trying to balance that from being a card-carrying member in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, which I think, you know, uh, you said it in one of your um, The Wild Goose is Loose videos, that that might cause people to be, oh, you're one of those, and they shut it off. Mm -hmm. But that the Holy Spirit desperately is trying to work in people's lives. And I feel like, um, you know, we we slap so many conditionals on God, or we're uncomfortable before God with this or that manifestation of the Spirit that we just... Yeah, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, image of the church without the Holy Spirit is the upper room before Pentecost. And that is a body of people gathered together, remembering Jesus, but without the Holy Spirit. Locked in a room, filled with fear, unable to move. If you want to take a look at what, what the Christian looks like, what the church looks like without the Holy Spirit, that's the image. And that's all we have to think about. Unfortunately... We don't have to look very far to be able to see that type of image, that type of church, you know, in, in, in some situations and circumstances. I, it just drives me batty. It just drives me batty. So the Holy Spirit, you, you take a look at Acts, the text in Acts of the Apostles. The Holy Spirit comes upon them uh, with fire and a driving wind, uh, and, and they come out of that room changed, okay? Or you can take a look at, at John, in the 20th chapter of John, when Jesus comes, he appears to them, and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. They come out of that room changed. Um, I am absolutely 100% convicted that we need that, that, that that was an experience not merely for a few, but for the church. That's why we celebrate the birthday of the church is on Pentecost, and we have a population that, that just, same type of thing. I didn't realize there was more. That, that what anime, I mean, these people, the, the apostles had, had every advantage. They were with Jesus. They saw him preach. They saw him heal. They saw him do miracles and all of that. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon them that they were actually able to believe and able to follow. So I'm just so convinced that, that what the world desperately needs is their life and their faith life to be animated by the Holy Spirit. Because without it, we are much like the apostles in an upper room with the doors locked and living in fear. And that is not where our faith is supposed to be lived, in a locked room. Amen? Amen. I love that. Dang. That is awesome. That I is know. awesome. Because Dang. I feel like right, right, that description describes many Catholics. Like today, right now, this fearful... Um, like they're terrified of change because they don't understand that the Holy Spirit will shift 
because of the way the culture shifts. And he's like, I know how to speak to the culture. You don't come with me, you know, like, you know, or, or I know how to, how to, or not just the culture, but individuals. And I feel like so many people don't understand. I, I just had someone share with me. I just had someone share with me this story today that said um, she was go- looking for different school systems or she was out of school and someone was coming up to her and they, they were touring the school, Catholic school. And they were like, um, you know, it's, this school is going to be like this instead of like that next year. So everything's going to change. So you might not want to join since you live really close to here and it's going to move away. And she goes, well, you know, I only want to go to a school that's our kind of Catholic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for that one, you know, like, and it was that notion of like, okay, we've built up the walls. We're in the siege mentality yeah, yeah, all yeah, over yeah, yeah. again. And we're terrified and we're yeah, locking and that, the doors. And that simply isn't Christian. Uh, I mean, it's not the Christian. I mean, the, the, if we think about that, if God behaved towards us in that manner, there would never be an incarnation. The reality is oh. that God, that God, that God takes on flesh and enters this mess, you know, and and we we can't stay. And I mean, it was Francis, Saint Francis, looks over the Umbrian Valley. He says, "The world is going to be my cloister." So this this building up walls and escaping the world simply is is inconsistent with the incarnation of our faith. So with with that being said, that. What the Holy Spirit allows us to do is engage that, and, and it's it's what makes it's honestly what makes people nervous about the Holy Spirit, and and that's why the, the, you guys have made reference to the Wild Goose. It's a it's a video series that I'm doing. It's 14 parts, really trying to take a look at lots of different aspects of the Holy Spirit. But one thing is that that the, the ancient Celts they had the term the image of the Holy Spirit is the wild goose, and, and I love that not a domesticated dove, but a wild goose, and and Pope Francis is saying. Uh, we cannot try to tame the Holy Spirit. And what we like to do is we like to put the Holy Spirit in a cage. And when we want that, we open up the cage and, and, and gently it'll come out to confirmation, these kinds of things. But but a, a wildness to the Spirit. Or another image I like is we like the image of the Holy Spirit as a fire, as long as it's a candle on an altar. But if it's a raging fire, if it's a raging fire, our first inclination is get that under control. And that's exactly what we do with the Spirit of God. We're at, rather, the Spirit of God should be controlling us. Our tendency is, okay, we want to control that. And, and I think that's a recipe for disaster. And, and the church begins to turn in on herself. She begins to be consumed by herself uh, rather than the kingdom of God. Oh, uh, self-referential. Yeah. <clears throat> I said that, I remember I was at a diocesan event in my, my hometown and uh, we were talking about different things and people were saying like, you know, I, I just don't really, I, I don't understand what the Pope is saying about being missionary disciples. Like, isn't it enough just to live your faith and let that example, like, didn't St. Francis say? No, uh, no. Right, no, he did not. Right, the, <laughs> what's the line? Um, Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. A, yeah, he and, never said it. I know, he, a, never, he never said, said it. it. And B, it's necessary. I know, <laughs> that's the funniest part is, when necessary, use words. People say like, oh, I don't need to use words. It's like, Actually, it's a lot more necessary than what you're giving, even that yeah. line to say. But he's, it, the closest thing that he said is there's no use walking somewhere to preach unless our walking is also our preaching, right? Isn't that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, that's close enough. But uh, I remember this woman saying, like, you know, like we were just talking about all this church and missionary disciple. And I remember I was just like, when the church becomes a bureaucracy, that's when it stops being life-giving to its members. And she said, well, when, when is it a, a bureaucracy? And I said, when it ceases being Christ-centered and starts being self-referential. And I was like, I think it's the priest's job to love the church, but it's the church's job to love Christ, right? Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's like <laughs> our, our kind of motivation. So, yeah, any- so, but, but it's the part that's more difficult. I mean, when we look at the church, she is obviously, she is charismatic and she is hierarchical. She is both. 
And, and mm -hmm. the, the, the hierarchical is very easy to identify. It's very easy. You see the structures, and that part is easy for us to get a grasp on. But it's, it's the charismatic. I remember, you know, I used that word charismatic one time, and they said, oh, no, no, the church, I'm not part of that. I'm not charismatic. The church, by her nature, is charismatic. And by that, I mean uh, open and, and vitally needs the movement of the Holy Spirit to continue to lead, guide, and direct. All of us. That should be our stance before the Lord. So you made reference earlier to the charismatic renewal. Ultimately, uh, the charismatic renewal has been a great grace to the church, but I don't care if somebody's involved in the charismatic renewal as a movement, but I do and am passionate that, that an individual experiences the Holy Spirit that begins to animate their life. Yeah. Amen. So I love that. Breath of God, your latest book. Yeah. Um, great book. Right. I haven't read it. You should send it to me a free copy. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be sure. I'll be sure. I right have on. one. Someone contributed to the campaign here. Go on, Gomer. Dang it. Um, but uh, no. So how for our listeners? Because we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about like you know people might be fearful of the language of the charismatic renewal. But what we want people to do is be animated by the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul's very clear. I didn't come with a bunch of, you know, fancy arguments. I came in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what our, like, like new atheists today, they're not convinced by Thomas Aquinas' five, five ways. They just go, oh, yeah, but science. And then they dismiss it with their smugness. But to come about in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think that is what's going to challenge this, this new atheism. Um, if someone's out there and they're saying, okay, I love my Catholic faith. I love the tradition of the church. I love the hierarchy of the church. I love the truth of the church. How do I, right now, like I don't want to wait, how do I tap into the power of the Holy Spirit in my, in my life, in my Christian faith, in my, yeah. my love of the Catholic church? How do I tap into this? What do I need to do right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, first off, all of those things are, are wonderful. I love the church, all that kind of thing. But there, a, a couple. I mean, that's a big question. In fact, you should read a book called Breath of God that actually answers that question. Oh, I'm buying uh, it right now on Kindle. Boom. I'm buying it right now. I'm buying. Really it right paying now. attention here. This is called multitasking. Okay, um, it's it's first off, it's it's coming to an awareness that as as uh, our Holy Father is saying, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit himself, that, that it is a person. It is the third person of the Trinity, and the gift of God is God himself. So this first gift is, is that we simply ask for that. We ask that the gift of God would manifest in my life again. Obviously, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit of God at baptism, confirmation, sacraments, all that. Thomas Aquinas, and believe it or not, we'll quote a Dominican here, um, ew, he, ew. He, said, he said that we can receive those graces, but they lay dormant and they lay asleep. And, and Aquinas would say that there needs to be this second sending, you know. So we ask that the Holy Spirit come to us again and stir up those graces uh, that you talked about, the grace that we receive in the sacraments in the church and all those wonderfully beautiful things. And we ask that the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we first off pray for a gift of faith that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person that wants to be made known to us. We surrender. You know, we, we, what is it, Lord, that keeps me away from you? What is it that doesn't allow me to be open to your life and your movement in my life? I give you that. And then we just pray, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your power and we shall renew the face of the earth. That's the beginning. The other is go to thewildgoosesloose.com. 
and and watch the series. I mean, I I think honestly, and I'm not just tooting the horn. I think it's turned out really, really beautiful. And, I agree. And the response and the reception, literally across the world, not across the world, has been overwhelming. Yeah, it's it's a it's fantastic. I, and and I just love the fact that it's a thing that's specifically about the Holy Spirit. So if because um, we do have a lot of listeners who aren't really like tapped into a thing where like they're going to be hearing about that. Uh, where can if they're if they are if they are interested in um, in the Wild Goose, where can they find it? Okay, great. Uh, well, the the, name, the internet is the site is thewildgooseisloose.com. Uh, make sure you do that correctly because if you don't do that correctly, you you might see some things that you shouldn't see. So, <laughs> thewildgooseisloose.com. And then just if you went to my Facebook page, uh, Father Dave Pavanka, you can get it there. But we will uh, definitely put this in the show notes and all that good stuff. Cool, cool. That'd be great. Yeah, That'd absolutely. Be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Father Dave. This has oh, been awesome. It's my pleasure, you guys. Love to do it again sometime. Really? Then we'd love to talk about the Camino. Oh, that'd be great. I'd love to do it. So, yeah, it's a great topic. Yes, I know what that is, and I look forward to speaking about it. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing is, Father Dave, the second person I've ever interviewed in my entire life was you for my other podcast. Uh, do you remember that when you oh, came oh, to Oh, I our... do. Down yeah. in St. Lawrence. Or is it St. Lawrence? Yeah, it was St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence Sugar at the time. Land, yeah. I called yeah. it Interview with a Pavanka because I thought it sounded like Vampire. Well, that's clever. That's clever. <laughs> it's, it's so clever, right? That's as good as you get with someone from AMDG. Oh, yeah. That's it right there. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to um, plug anything else. I know you have um, – so let me think here. The Goose is Loose. Uh, wonderful. Who was the people that you partnered with? Um, Dan Johnson? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, 4PM Media. Uh, Four. Yeah, the name of the company is 4PM Media. Uh, out of uh, Fairhope, just south of Al- uh, Mobile, Alabama, down in Fairhope, Alabama. Dan is a graduate of Franciscan University. Take a shot, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, and he works with uh, his 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 in laws and and he and another. I uh, uh, love Weiss. them. Love the Mac yeah. leaders. Love yeah, them. yeah. So and and they just really saw a need and a desire to uh, share message. And, and it's this happens to be the message that I've worked them with, but it's really their thing is, is to be able to present the faith, but not, not only the faith, just positive things that, that really begin to turn people to, to the Lord. So they've done a great job that they, I mean, they get all the credit in the world for, for how beautiful uh, the wild goose has turned out. Hey, can you give us uh, a knock, knock joke to go out with from, sure. from spiritual freedom? Sure. Remember knock, that knock, knock joke. I use it all knock, the time. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who? And that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Catching Foxes, rating review on, on iTunes. Thank you, everyone. Woo. Bye. We're on Facebook.